desire to explore, to venture out, to leave behind the ordinary and find something new. New places, new paths, new challenges. We look for adventure and for a tomorrow that asks more of us than today did. We want to hear the wind in the trees. We want to look out across the expanses. We want to take in the beauty around us and find the thrill the average person never does. So we set out to find a better way in our relationships, in our pursuits, and in our faith. Life Trails, take the next step. That was your opportunity to leave that video if you needed to, you know, once you, once you find out pastor's not speaking. I remember I was at a church years ago, and uh, all week I would answer questions on the phone. They would call me and say, hey, is, is the main preacher going to preach this week? And I was, you know, well, I don't know. I'd always tell them I didn't know because I didn't want to tell them the weeks that I was preaching. I didn't like it. Um, also, I just, FYI, there's a reason I do the songs. Um, thanks. <laughs> yep, here we go. So I'll continue in a series. Uh, we've been looking at John the Baptist, who is maybe one of the stranger characters, uh, people in the Bible. And am I doing that? Am I making it ring for you? You need to, I'll do a sound check for you. So John the Baptist, we're, and, I'm, and I'm focusing in on, on one passage this morning. If I go back further, is that, does that help? No? And it's just me. Okay. No? And then we're going to let it go. So one of the things I've been asking God for, as, as I get older, I have found cynicism creeping in into my brain, into my life, how I see the world, and, and even how I read scripture and, and how I am in church. And so constantly I'm, I'm praying and I'm asking God, um, you know, mend my callous heart, mend my broken heart, help me to see the scriptures new and fresh. Because, um, you know, I, I've grown up in church. I don't, I don't ever remember not, not going to church. Uh, I tell the story that I, I remember one day it was in the middle of winter and there was a huge snowstorm and dad's like, come on, we're going to church and we go to church and, and there's my family and the pastor's family and that's all that's there. And, uh, um, you know, it was, it was a, huge, it's a huge part of my life and, uh, and I'm, great, I'm grateful for uh, being raised, raised in church. But there's a curse, there's this curse of familiarity, right? You're around a, the scriptures your whole life, and you're like, okay, Christmas, yeah, Jesus born, resurrection, right? And there becomes this monotony to uh, the scriptures that I think is, is dangerous and, and is uh, not good for us and not good for our, our souls. And so my prayer was, God, Help me to look at the scripture 
in a way that I, that I never have before. So the scripture we're looking at today is Matthew uh, 3, 2. Matthew 3, 2. And I'm just looking at, at one, one scripture because as I looked at it, God, God answered my prayer and, and, I, and I read this and I realized, I don't know if I understand this at all. I've read it a hundred times and, and, and I looked at it in a way, if we could throw that up there, that Matthew 3, 2. And it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we've heard the scripture a thousand times, haven't we? And we almost kind of just dismiss it. We just dismiss it. So John the Baptist, who is this guy? I know we've been talking about him for weeks, but I know that um, you know, every week there might be somebody here who's, who, who hasn't been here or who's never been to church um, couple things about church, just as a, a rabbit trail. Um, church is a place for people that don't have it all together. Church is a place for um, people that, that recognize their brokenness. And what we do as, as a people is we have decided that, that this Bible is truth and that we can build our lives on it, that we know the creator, um, Jesus, through this. And we do our best to, to live our lives by, by the Bible. That's, that's what we're trying to do. Um, the Bible's divided into two sections. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Promise and the New te- Promise. And the big difference between the two is that the Old Testament is before Jesus. And the New Testament is Jesus and after. And so John the Baptist, who was he? He's kind of the last of the Old Testament crazy prophets. Okay, and if, if you've ever gone through and, and, and paid attention to what some of these prophets in the Old Testament, what God calls them to do. Well, first of all, so a prophet is somebody who, who foretells and foretells. Okay, there's this, those two things. So the foretell is usually they, they say something that's true. And usually they say, hey, Israel... You're doing it wrong, okay? You're doing it wrong, and you need to fix this, or these things are going to happen. The other thing they do is foretell, and they would tell about something in the future. John the Baptist is one of these guys that previous prophets like Isaiah and Malachi actually said that this one is going to come. It says that he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, um, make straight paths for him, the crooked straight and the rough places plain. And if you're like me, when you hear that, you start hearing Handel's Messiah. Anybody? No? Yeah, you start hearing that ringing in your ear. Because I, I just love that. So he's this crazy old Last of the Old Testament prophets, he's the forerunner of Jesus. He's preparing the way for Jesus. We're at about A.D. 30, okay? That's where we're at. So almost 2,000 years ago, he's distantly related to Jesus. He's this guy who lives off the land. He's like if if he walked in here, security would come and say, excuse me, sir, can we help you, you know? I think... I think we would be unnerved by this guy. He lived off of locusts and honey, which is apparently, if you live in the desert and you're super poor, back then this was not abnormal, not an abnormal diet. Um, My guess is, you know, like, I'm corn-fed, beef-fed. 
My guess is he didn't look a whole lot uh, like me. Um, he wore a cl- clothes of camel skin or camel hair, and I can just imagine how he came by that garment. Um, I'm sure he smelled great. I'm sure he smelled great. And yet all of these people were going out to see him and to hear him. So one of the things I, that I do is I try to, I always find like contemporary stuff or contemporary images uh, of what the people would look like. Because I, I try to contextualize it in my own heart. So I have a couple of pictures. This is one, like, when I think of John the Baptist, this is one of those. That's Castaway. He's yelling at Wilson there. But I imagine he looked kind of like that. Also, this is, so he ate bugs, like Timon, right? Timon and Pumbaa. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you know this guy. So this is Glenn Beck, and I put him up there because some of you are like, I love Glenn Beck. And some of you are like, I hate Glenn Beck. And, and most of us are like, man, he's like a crazy doomsday, you know, always always saying something to rile people up. And my guess is that's probably how people saw John the Baptist. I'm not saying he's a prophet. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying that he was probably a controversial figure in that day. People loved him. People hated him. No matter what, people wanted to hear what he had to say so they could love him or hate him or, 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 or do uh, whatever they were going to do. So John the Baptist, he comes and he has this simple message He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. And this is one of those church words, right? We say it all the time. We assume we know what it means. And You ever say a word enough? You keep saying it, saying all of a sudden it sounds like gibberish and you don't know what it means. I feel like I've gotten there with the word uh, repent. So I I looked into, you know, what does this mean? mean? It means to change one's mind. Okay, it comes from a Greek word that I won't pronounce for you because uh, I'll pronounce it wrong. But to, to change the direction of your life. John is saying the direction you're walking is the wrong way. You're going the wrong way down a one-way street. And just recently, my son and I were, were camping down in, in Tennessee and um, we had to run out to and jump in the car to go get some supplies. And I turned onto this four-lane divided highway. Had, you know, it has the, the, the concrete wall in between. And I'm driving along, and people are honking at me. And I, what's their problem? Well, I was going the wrong way. And Isaiah's like, Dad, what are you doing? Isaiah, your dad's a ditz. I was going the wrong way. And in that moment, I needed to repent. I needed to turn around and go a different direction. He's telling the religious leaders of the day, particularly the Pharisees, and what they thought is they could usher in this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, as long as they followed all the rules in the Old Testament. And and to make sure they followed all the rules, they came up with like 608 more rules to make sure that you followed those rules. And if everybody follows those rules... Then Messiah will come, kingdom will come. It'd be great. And, and so they took it upon themselves to go around and make sure that everybody was following the rules, right? I think sometimes I do that. Well, I'm a parent, right? 
So I do that a lot. Sometimes that bleeds on other people. We're always trying to fix other people. John the Baptist says that we need to repent of that. We need to go a different direction. And he says the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the book of Matthew, it says this over and over again. Jesus is constantly, it says that, it'll say he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And it's over and over and over again in the book of Matthew. It's also referred to as the kingdom of God in, in other uh, books. What, what is the kingdom of heaven? I mean, it's a great movie with Orlando Bloom in it, if you've ever seen that one. So when I preach the gospel, you know, when I get up here and I preach, the gospel to me is Jesus, who was God, became a man. He lived on this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins, and he conquered death and the grave when he rose again. And we need to believe in him, right? That's, that's the gospel. So what was John preaching what was Jesus preaching? Because none of that stuff had happened yet. And I, it's one of those things, I've read this a hundred times and I never asked that question. So what, what did their sermon sound like? What did their teaching sound like? What was John and Jesus preaching? So I looked for the gospel in the Old Testament. It's there. So there's this Hebrew word, it's called basar, and I don't know why I tried to pronounce that, but I did. I'm sure that's wrong. And it means it's a verb to proclaim, to announce. Uh, uh, it's often translated as uh, glad tidings of great joy. And then that word in Greek got translated to a verb uh, evangelizo, and then that word turned into a noun. Because it was spoken of so much the specific gospel of Jesus that they, it turned into a noun, a gospel. Um, and then they translated into Anglo-Saxon, Godspell, which I didn't know that. I, I didn't know where that, so Godspell. And then it got shortened to gospel. So that's where we get our, our English, English word for, uh, for gospel, which, you know, has a freebie for you. So I looked in the scriptures to see specifically what, what did Jesus and John know? Where, where were they preaching from? There's a passage, there's several passages. We're going to look at three passages in Isaiah. And then I'm going to say some things and then we'll be done. And we can go grill. So in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah is another one of these crazy prophets. And he's writing to the people of Israel... They are in exile, which means they are not living in their homeland. It has been taken over. It has been destroyed. Their holy city lies in ruins, and they're in a foreign land. And Isaiah writes this. We're going to read a lot of scripture. Just It's good for us. Let it wash over you. <laughs> he says, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. That's our gospel. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. 
Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. What is Isaiah saying in this passage? He's saying the gospel is, here is your God. God has arrived. He's here. He has strong arms. He's going to take care of you like a shepherd takes care of his flock. God has arrived. He's got you. In Isaiah chapter 52, again, the people are in exile. They're in captivity. The religion is being mocked. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, says, Awake! Awake! Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrians oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. The rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who publishes peace and brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. Isaiah says that the gospel is this. Your God reigns. People of Israel, you're in captivity. Things are not going well for you. But know that your God reigns and he sees your predicament and he's on the way. The last passage out of Isaiah. Again, the context. Israel is nearly at the end of their, their slavery. It's been 70 years plus Children and grandchildren, whole generations have grown up and all they know is slavery. Their grandparents are slaves, their parents are slaves, and they are slaves. And that's the only world they've ever known. 
And God, through Isaiah, writes this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks for righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastation. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Isaiah says that the gospel is good news to the poor and the brokenhearted. That the great and terrible day of the Lord is upon them and there will be justice. When you're a slave, what else do you want to hear? But that there will be justice and comfort for those who mourn and real justice, not mob justice. Because only the true God, who is truly just, can execute real and true justice. So, after our little journey there through Isaiah, what have we learned? What might John and Jesus have been preaching in the wilderness? When he says, repent, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's say one, their gospel was that God sees you. He knows your plight. He knows your predicament. He hears you. You are known to him. And God is on the way. God is on the way. And he has made some promises he's about to keep. And then third, he would say, wake up! Yeah, you too. <laughs> wake up! Rise up! Believe, Israel. Lift up your voice. And then four, your future is about to change. Everything will be different when God shows up. Everything will be different when God shows up. He's ready to rebuild, restore, renew, to reconcile, to give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I think about those, those four things, the predicament, the announcement, the awakening, the change. And then I think about us as people, as humans. And what is the gospel for us? What is the good news, the proclamation? It's that God sees our predicament as human beings. He sees our brokenness. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is fueled and ruled by sin. 
We, we literally live in the broken kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. Because we forfeited our right to have dominion over this world through Adam and Eve when they chose to go their way and not God's way, when they chose to disobey. See, people always, they look at that, that story in the Garden of Eden, and God says, you know, you may eat of any tree, but this one, one tree, don't eat of that one. And, and somebody like me goes, well, that's kind of a sick joke, isn't it? I mean, if you tell me to not do one thing, that's the only thing I want to do. And that's all I'm going to think about. But there's this idea, I had somebody tell me one time, he goes, he goes think, of, think of that tree in the garden. Um, so when I was a kid, there was no phones. Yeah, there was no cell phones. There were phones. They were all tethered to a wall. And you didn't have them in school, right? And so if you wanted to write a note to somebody, you took out this thing, it's called paper. And you use the writing utensil of some sort. And there would be a, a, a girl a couple aisles over, and, and you liked her, and you wanted to know if she liked you. So you'd, you'd write a little note that says, do you like me? And you'd do the two check boxes, right? Check yes or no. Um, and you fold it up, and, you know, until it's like this small. And you say, hey, give it to her. You know? And she, she gets that, and she opens it up. And this is usually the look I got right so when God he put that that tree in the garden it's like him sending a little love letter a little note it says do you do you love me and you know what we did we we took that and we checked no and we sent it back to him and we went our own way We forfeited the right to rule and reign with Jesus, with God, here on this earth. And so sin entered the world. Romans, it says, as in Adam, all died. But the kingdom of heaven is coming. So this is the God is on the way. The kingdom of heaven is coming, and it's already here. The king is Jesus. What, what is the kingdom of heaven? We've said it's the gospel, but it's also the sphere of where God reigns, where he is obeyed, where the broken are blessed, and the last are first. Like Brennan Manning says in his book, Ragamuffin Gospel, he says, where we are all beggars looking for handouts of grace, and God gives them out freely. Where wrongs are righted and justice is done, the kingdom is where we find that thing we have longed for, like that precious pearl. Like that treasure that you find and you go and you sell all your possessions so you can buy the land where that treasure was found. And these are stories that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew. He will rescue us from our slavery to sin and break the chains of captivity from the kingdom of darkness. He will bring the rule and reign of God and his kingdom back to earth first in us 
his church. And then in the new Jerusalem, physically, where God will come in Jesus and he will rule and reign. God is on the way and he says to us, he says, wake up. See the truth of my word. Repent. Stop walking the way you're walking. And turn. Rethink your life. Literally what it means. And believe. And then the change happens. He calls us to pursue holiness. What is holiness? Holiness is living like Jesus and not living like everyone else. Literally means to to be separate from. And that's what he calls us to. To live in a way that is different. And we have an example. We have that example in the person of Jesus. And as we pursue holiness, we bring kingdom living to this earth. You ever think about in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we doing here? We are bringing kingdom rule and kingdom living here. In heaven, all obey God. And we want to bring that culture, that lifestyle, that hope, we want to bring it here. And it starts right here, in here, with us. Our prayer is that this world will be filled with a people who obey God. How do we bring kingdom living here now? So our gospel is that Jesus sees our predicament. He announced the truth that Jesus is here and there's hope. We just need to repent and believe and there will be a change and you will not be the same after God comes to you into your life. How do we bring kingdom living here now? How do we fix the brokenness around us? Every day I'm reminded of how broke things are. And the world has no answers. They'll tell you they got answers. They don't. Because there's one answer. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I have two action steps. Number one, we need to repent. And it's not just a, well, I'm a Christian, I repented a while ago. No, it's daily. It's daily contrition. It's daily humility before God that recognizes I failed, I've screwed up. Well, even last night, Jill and I were having a conversation and I said dumb things. And I had to say I'm sorry. And to repent. Albert Schweitzer, who's a uh, Nobel Prize winning philosopher and and Lutheran minister, he says there's no kingdom of God in the world without the kingdom of God 
in our hearts. Where does the kingdom of God begin? It begins right here with me. So we just finished up this, uh, this uh, marriage class, which was fantastic. Re-engage. If, you got, if they do it again, do it. This is fantastic. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, my marriage is perfect. Go. You'll be encouraged. You'll be strengthened. You'll realize how horrible of a husband you really are. And No. But one of the things is it says in there is they said, draw a circle, stand in the circle, and then fix everyone in the circle. You ever notice how much time we spend trying to fix everybody else? I mean, isn't that all social media is? I'm just going to fix you. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you. I need to agree with me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say all these dumb things and trying to fix everybody. Just repent. And the other action step, I could come up with lots more, but I just came up with two. It's forgive. Forgive. It's like the Christian superpower. Because God has forgiven me, now I can forgive all the time. Anybody I want. You wrong me, I can forgive you. And that doesn't make any sense. The power of forgiveness and asking for of forget forgiveness is unbelievable. You've been wronged by somebody. You, you've been hurt grievously. The only way to heal is to forgive. Now you're saying, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. I'm not asking you to forget. But I'm saying that no longer hold those people accountable for the wrong they've done you. And that might be a daily, hourly, every minute thing of forgiveness. And then that anger and that frustration and that hurt comes back. As you think about it or something triggers you, you got to forgive again. you got to forgive. And the more you do it, the better you get. Man, if we were known for one thing as Christians, we're like, man, those people are crazy. They forgive everything. You want to start changing the world around you, just forgive. Because we've been forgiven so much, and we get to forgive other people. It's our superpower it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. We have it at our fingertips. So I'm going to call the band up. We're going to sing one more song. And the song is about how, how God changes us. How he changes us from the inside out.